right, well, we have a very, very special guest. I'm going to interview him for our message today, and you're still going to hear a great message from him. Uh, uh, this is someone we've partnered with for many, many years. Uh, you know him. He's been here at Gateway. He's the president of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, chairman of the board, I think would be the title, and chairman of the board and the founder of Samaritan's Purse, one of the largest missions organizations in the world. Will you please welcome Franklin Graham. Well, uh, welcome. Thank you. Uh, we're glad you're here. Um, I'm going to ask you about your family in particular in a moment, uh, your, um, Jane and y'all's children and all, but uh, everybody here probably knows your father. <laughs> uh, many, many people accepted Christ through Billy Graham crusades. As a matter of fact, my wife, I told you this before, Debbie accepted Christ. Her grandmother made her watch your dad on TV every night on every channel, and uh, so... <laughs> She accepted Christ, but um, would you tell us, please, how your father is? Well, uh, thank you for asking. He's, he's at home. He'll be 99 November 7th. Um, uh, Pastor, his, his mind is clear, uh, he, but he doesn't say anything anymore. He's gotten real quiet, and every now and then he'll say a word or two so you know that he's listening or he... He, um, he understands what you're saying, but uh, he's gotten very quiet, but we're thankful and grateful that he's at home, and we have uh, a nurse and a, and a helper that stays there 24 hours a day around the clock, so he's able to be there in his own surroundings. You know, a number of years ago, he, he always gave his money away. If he got an honorarium, he gave it away. If uh, someone gave him something, he gave it away. His books, he gave the, honor, he gave the money away. He lived off his salary. Uh, he... <laughs> Um, and when he was working on his last book, he was certainly living longer than I thought he was going to live. And I said, Daddy, why don't you keep uh, this, uh, this royalties off this book? Oh, no, son. Uh, I said, Daddy, I, you know, you're living longer than Mama, and uh, um, you, you might need it. No, son. I said, okay. I said, well, I mean, if, when it comes to that time where I have to make the decision you know, we may have to put you in a, in a rest home and you could share a room with somebody. He got real quiet. <laughs> he said, well, I th that might be a good idea, son. So, and I'm glad he kept the royalties on that book because he's been 99. So he's told us on his 95th birthday that he was going to live to be a, a hundred. And uh, I hope he does. I think he will. That's right. I agree. So, well... You have a, a beautiful wife, Jane. Uh, if you can tell us how many years you guys have been married. And then you have four children, three in the ministry, one in the military, I believe, right? I, do, I have two sons uh, that work with me in the ministry at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Uh, my youngest son is uh, a major in the Army. He's uh, had um, eight, um, eight deployments. Uh, seven of those deployments were combat deployments. And then I have a, the youngest is a girl. And she married a guy that played football in college, and then he went on to the NFL, 
and he played for six years in the NFL, so he's now um, retired. Can you believe that? And <laughs> she wanted me to come to his retirement party. I said, I'm not coming. She said, Dad, why not? I said, he's 30 years old. I'm, I'm not going to go to a retirement party for a 30-year-old. So. And then I, um, but we have 11 grandchildren, so Jane uh, and I, we feel very blessed. And you all been married how long? <laughs> 40-something years. I got married in 70. Uh-oh. <laughs> I think 44. We got married in 74, whatever that is. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jane, he actually knows, so just so you know. So. Um, Okay, so a lot of people have heard me share, I, I met the Lord in a motel room. You also had an experience with the Lord in a hotel room. I think it was in Jerusalem. Will you tell us about that? You know, and it, Jerusalem really doesn't have anything to do with it. It just happened to be where I was at the time. Um, and, maybe, and there may be people t- to today that are watching uh, or listening that are at kind of the same place where I was. I was at the point in my life where I was sick and tired of just being sick and tired. And I was trying to live in two different worlds. Uh, when I was around my parents and the church, uh, I, I knew the language and I knew how to, to speak like they did. But uh, I wanted to go out and party and I wanted to have fun. And so I, my, my life was really split. And I knew better, okay? I knew better. And I remember my father coming to me on my 21st birthday and he said, Franklin, I want you you to know that your mother and I love you. Well, that's nice. Okay, thank you. And uh, then he said, um, but Franklin, he said, you're going to have to make a choice. And the door of our home will always be open to you, but you're going to have to make a choice either to to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and make him the Lord of your life or not. And that choice is yours. I can't make it for you. And your mother and I are praying. And when he said it, it was kind of a, it was like a knife and it made me mad because he could see through my hypocrisy. So it was about uh, 10 days later, I was in the Middle East and in Jerusalem. And just one night, I just got on my knees and I said, God, I've sinned and I'm sorry. Um, forgive me. And I do believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that. And I believe that he took my sins. And if you'll forgive me, I'll give you my life and I want to live for you from this day forward, if I can. And when I said, if I can, I I wasn't sure I was going to make it through the next day, Pastor, you know. But the next morning I woke up and I could tell something was different. And it's been like that ever since. Uh, Something's different. And it's the Holy Spirit of God. And he convicts us of sin. And when we turn to the left, when we should be going to the right or whatever, I mean, he's there to nudge us back. But I'm so grateful for God that loved me that he sent his son from heaven to this earth for my sins. And so I'm here today just by God's grace. You you did something last year, uh, and we were able to be a part of that, the Decision America tour, where you went to every state capital and held a prayer meeting on the steps of of every capital. We were able to be at the one in Texas, but you told me some things about that. Would you just share a little bit about that tour? When, um, it goes back to uh, actually the year before. And I just had a burden on my heart that our country, we're losing our nation. And I still believe this, we're losing our nation. But I think God's given us a little reprieve, okay? But 
I just felt the only hope for this country was prayer. It wasn't the, the Democratic Party or Republican Party. Uh, I believe the only thing that can turn this nation around is God. And the only way that's going to happen is if God's people begin to pray. And so um, I called um, uh, Lawrence uh, Schweisgut, who's on your staff, and I said, Lawrence, uh, I'd like to go to all 50 state capitals. The last person to do this was Jerry Falwell, and you were with him at the time. Um, I don't want this to be political. This is, this is just to pray. And could you help me? He said, well, Franklin, he said, let me talk to uh, the church, to the pastors. And um, you agreed to let him come. And um, we, uh, he put it together, and we went to all 50 state capitals. It was a, quite an undertaking, but people didn't come to hear me, okay? I remember Des Moines, Iowa, about 16 degrees. The wind was blowing. That was our first uh, capital snow on the ground, and I thought, well, NBC News was there to cover it. And I thought, well, if there's um, 50, 50 people show up, 100 people show up, that'd be fine uh, in this cold they're, weather. They're seeing pictures on the screens while you're talking. Well, a few more than 50 showed up at these. Uh, well, this is just it's something God did. And they didn't come to hear me. They came to pray. And when we finished People still stayed after I left the stage. People still stayed, and they prayed. Um, our country is still in trouble, friends, still in trouble. I don't think I've seen so much hate uh, politically in all my life uh, as we see in politics today. And the only hope for this nation is God. And so we went to all 50 state capitals, and we only had one day of rain, and that one day of rain, <laughs> um, thousands of People stood there in the pouring rain, drenched, uh, and it was in Missouri. And I just, uh, and so someone said, well, Franklin, you know, we'll hold an umbrella over you. I said, you're not going to hold an umbrella over me. These people out here don't have umbrellas, and I'm not going to have an umbrella. So we all got wet together, but they came to pray. That's great. And you, you shared with me how many, you would give about a two-minute presentation of the gospel. How many people accepted Christ, even though you were there to pray for our nation, how many people accepted Christ on that tour? We, we decided, or I just decided, if we're going to have these many people, and it was a church, again, it's a prayer meeting. So I thought, well, I'm just going to give an invitation in case uh, there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ. So I gave it just a short gospel message. When I say short, two minutes. And I gave an invitation. But we didn't have any way for people to come forward, so I had people, if you prayed the prayer with me, text me. And so they would text and it was, um, I didn't, I haven't kept the number, I don't know, but it was thousands of people. 9,006 9, people accepted Christ. <laughs> and uh, this is uh, Lawrence Weissgood on our staff. He's on our staff, and yet he's, we loaned him, and he set the tour up and did a great job, Lawrence. Thank you very much for your participation. So... For many years, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, led by your father, now led by you, did crusades. Uh, but I know you also still do crusades. Can you tell us about some of the crusades? Well, we, we, we do the same type of format that my father has used. I, I believe when you invite people to come and you present the gospel, especially when the church has invited unsaved people, just like what you've had last week, uh, when you talk about all the people that got baptized, um, the gospel works. There's power in the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power 
of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There's Holy Spirit-filled power in the gospel. So we preach. Um, uh, I've got an opportunity in December that I'm excited about, and we're going to Hanoi uh, in Vietnam. And to my knowledge, this is the first evangelistic uh, open-air meeting that's ever been allowed in the country. And we're using this under the auspices of Christmas and doing a Christmas program for the churches. And so the churches are coming, but they're bringing their unsaved friends with them. And of course, I'm going to give a gospel uh, Christmas message. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. I was also in Burma this, uh, this past year. And that was um, the first evangelistic meeting they've ever held in, in, in that country in years. And that was an exciting meeting uh, to see the country come and thousands of people accept Christ uh, every night. So, again, it's a work of the Holy Spirit of God. That's fantastic. Where some of the pictures are on the screens there of some of the crusades. Um, in May of this year, you held a summit in Washington talking about uh, and discussing the persecuted church. And I read somewhere there's approximately 250 million Christians who live under uh, persecution, high or extreme persecution. So, how can we, as a church, support the persecuted Christians around the world? Well, I think we number one is always prayer. Uh, we, we see persecution of Christians now in this country, uh, Christian businesses that want to live out their faith in their business are, are being challenged by different groups, and we're seeing them go to the court. Sometimes they've lost, and they've lost their businesses. And so that persecution is here, but we see in many countries around the world where people are killed for their faith. Uh, North Korea is an example. Uh, you take throughout the Middle East what has happened uh, in Iraq and in Syria, where people have been beheaded and crucified for their faith. And we've seen many Christians who I would have thought were kind of nominal Christians, Christian by name, had a knife put to their throat or a gun to their head as they deny Christ or we will kill you. They didn't deny Christ. And uh, their heads were cut off or they were shot. And I, uh, I believe that it's important. And we had held this summit in Washington. The vice president came and spoke and a number of other church leaders from around the world. But we wanted to put a spotlight on it and have people um, begin to pray for the church around the world. Uh, we, it, we are under attack uh, in this country, and it's going to increase here. It's, it's, it's not going to get better. It's going to increase but it's increasing around the world, and we have a responsibility, uh, I believe, to pray and to ask God to give us wisdom, and when we can, to speak out against it. I agree. I agree. I want to talk about Samaritan's Purse some. You founded Samaritan's Purse, and um, we're going to talk in a little while about Operation uh, Christmas Child Shoebox, that, that. but tell us about Operation Heal Our Patriots. This is a program... Uh, my son was wounded on his third deployment uh, in Iraq. And when, when you get that phone call in the middle of the night that um, your son has been wounded, you don't know what, they don't give you the extent of the wounds or it's just that he's been taken to uh, Army Hospital. Uh, the knot that is in your stomach, because it was hours and hours before we heard anything. But the stress that the military um, deployments have on families and on the marriages. And so we have a marriage retreat up in Alaska. We started the 1st of May. It goes through the middle of September every year. This, the year we just finished our sixth year. And we bring 10 couples a week. These are couples that have been wounded in combat. 
Uh, they have various injuries, missing legs, uh, head injuries, brain injuries, these types of things. And what happens is a lot of these military marriages are not strong marriages. You ask, you know, where did you meet your husband? Well, I met him in a bar. Uh, well, how long did you date before you got married? Uh, two weeks. Uh, why'd you get married so quickly? Well, he was being deployed. So that's the kind of foundation a lot of these marriages are built on. And so uh, we, we have chaplains, retired Navy chaplains, a pastor that um, work with these couples. They, we pay all of their expenses to come to Alaska and back, but they have to sign and agree uh, to spend four hours a day in marriage classes, uh, two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening. And every week we see not only marriages healed, but we see uh, people come to faith in Christ. And then those that make decisions for Christ, we baptize them right there. Uh, and it's and Alaska, Alaska lakes are not like Texas lakes. Uh, it's, it's liquid ice. That's great. I just, I want to encourage you. I just think about this. Um, you, you probably know this, but if you don't, when you tithe to Gateway Church, 15% of your tithe goes to missions. It goes to global ministry. We call it global ministry because some people say, I'm not called to missions, but uh, we're all called to ministry. So we years ago decided we're going to call it our missions department, global ministry. So we do ministry locally. We do it globally. But that's how we're able to respond to the hurricanes. You're one of the first ones on the ground. I'll ask you about that in a moment. But uh, also, we've been supporting Samaritan's Purse for many, many years now. I'm sure over 10 years. Uh, but I also want to say to you, if you ever want to support a ministry directly, please support that ministry. If you want to support Samaritan's Purse, support them because they're doing a great, great work. And I've gotten to see firsthand some of the, the work that you're doing around the world. You know, uh, we talked about the hurricane. So... Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Maria. Um, Samaritan's Purse is one of the first responders on the ground helping people. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that, how you guys help in these situations? Uh, well, here in Texas, we're working in five, uh, five different locations in South Texas. And the first is kind of the recovery. It's helping a person mud out their home um, if it's been flooded. And that's, for the most part, that was the case here in Texas. And then uh, once you get the house mudded out, it's taking the drywall down so the studs can dry, uh, washing it with a kind of a Clorox bleach. And then the house has to sit there and dry. And then after we do that, uh, then we'll come back for those that are not insured, uh, for the elderly. And we also do this for uh, first responders like uh, firemen, policemen, and so forth that don't have time to work on their homes because of their other responsibilities. We, we help them. And then uh, we'll, we'll actually bring teams in and we'll try to help, especially for those that aren't insured and those that are um, elderly, we'll come back and, and try to bring teams in to help repair the house to where they can move back in. And we have, so we have five locations here in Texas. We're two locations in Florida and we're on five uh, different islands in the Caribbean. That's great, it's fantastic. When, um when I was, uh, I was able to speak uh, at your conference this last year, had, you had missionaries that worked with Samaritan's Purse from, I think, 140 nations. It was, a, a lot, it was kind of like the Parade of Nations at the first, like the Olympics, all these nations coming in. That was an honor for me to be there. Um, but you, I, I toured one of your mobile hospitals, and you told me about a hospital you have in Mosul. Uh, I mean, it's like 
12 miles from the ISIS front line. Tell us a little bit about that. This uh, happened last uh, November when the United Nations asked if we would be willing uh, to put a mobile hospital. We always keep two, sometimes three of these hospitals in our warehouse, and they're complete hospitals with x-rays, laboratory, uh, two operating theaters, and uh, enough beds for, if you need it, up to 80 beds. And so the UN asked if we would be willing to put a hospital outside of Mosul because all the hospitals in northern Iraq were, were destroyed. And so a uh, team called and asked, what did you, what'd I think about it? I said, well, that's why we bought these hospitals. Absolutely. Let's, let's put one. Because you're talking about going right up to the, uh, the doorstep of hell is Mosul. Uh, you talk about uh, the ISIS what they were doing to people. We were, uh, women and children that were targeted, that came in, where snipers had hit them. Uh, but when we set the hospital up, normally we can do this in 24 hours and we're up and running, but there uh, it took us a month because we had to build a blast wall. Uh, so in case of car bomb, they would protect us from car bombs and each section of the blast wall weighed five tons. And then inside we set up the hospital and then we had to set up our living quarters for our own doctors and nurses. And then we had to have your technicians and people that keep the hospital going. We had to put our own water system in, our own sewer system, our own electrical system. So all this is inside this uh, about 10-acre compound. And when we got it up and running, got the hospital set up, uh, we started receiving patients immediately. And these people had just been shot within an hour or two. And they come to us, and the ambulances were not in, allowed inside the blast wall, Pastor. We kept the ambulances outside. And... Uh, the patients were taken off uh, out of the, 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 the ambulance. We stripped them because we were afraid of, car, of uh, like suicide bomb vest type things. So women, children, men, whatever, their clothes were taken off, put on a gurney, then we put a sheet over them, but then we brought them inside the, the, the blast wall. And as soon as they came in, you had teams of doctors and nurses that did the triage and decided if this one goes here or there or immediately into the OR, and most of them were immediately into the OR, but we prayed for everyone that came. And then after the operation, while they were recovering, it gave us a chance for our teams to pray with them. And teams of nurses would gather around and pray, sing hymns. These Muslims have never heard this before, never had that kind of love and compassion. And we saw people come to faith in Christ. Uh, we, they brought ISIS fighters to us. And so people say, well, well you just uh, fix them up and turn them loose? No, we fixed them up just like we would anybody else. But when they got ready to leave, we turned them over to the Iraqi government. I have no clue what they did with them, but, uh, uh, but we prayed for them. And these, these, these ISIS soldiers, we, our nurses, some of them spoke Arabic. They didn't know they spoke Arabic. And she, one of the girls overheard these two soldiers talking, saying, you know, they're so nice to us. Why have we been trying to kill them? Another one, I don't know why we've been trying to kill them, so. It's <laughs> great. Well, we, um, um, I, I'm trying to figure out where I can get this question in, so we'll have to do it quickly, I guess. But um, uh, we heard about the doctor that contracted Ebola, but some of you may not know it was the Samaritan's Purse doctor, Dr. Brantley. So how, uh, can you tell us a little about that and how Dr. Brantley's doing today? Okay, uh, this was in Liberia a few years ago, as you may remember when Ebola uh, came even here to, to Dallas. Um, our doctor, uh, Kent Brantley, one of our uh, physicians, uh, contracted Ebola as he was running our, what we call our ETU, our Ebola treatment unit. Uh, 
and we had the only Ebola treatment unit in the country of uh, Liberia. And we'd never treated Ebola before, and we were asked by Doctors Without Borders and Medicine Sans Frontier out of Belgium if we would do that in Liberia, and the World Health Organization came to us. We said, okay, we'll do it. Uh, if nobody else is going to do it, we'll do it. Ebola's coming, so somebody's got to fight it. So we, we set it up, and it ran well, and Dr. Brantley came down with Ebola, not from the Ebola treatment unit, but he was also a, a physician working in the hospital and not protected with his garments, and uh, he got Ebola. And I, that was probably one of the most difficult times in my life because uh, you've got a staff member that there, there is nothing you can do to save his life. I mean, when, when they told me he had Ebola, I thought, well, this is a death sentence. And what am I going to say to his wife and his kids? And so we began to pray, and we began to pray and pray and work. And at the end of 10 days, Dr. Brantley was back in the United States, and God used a number of people uh, to, to save that man's life. And so uh, we thank God, and we give him the glory, give him the credit. Amen. Well, so we, uh, we participated in Operation Christmas Child Shoebox for many, many years, and um, um, I won't ever want to do it. This year, my goal is to have every member of Gateway Church do it. Uh, but they put a prayer in there also, and toys and things for these kids. I think so far, 135 million shoeboxes have been distributed. I mean, that's just amazing. But do you have a, a, a story or a testimony from a, a shoebox that was distributed? I know you've got several, so... You know, every box, we, we are different. They're like snowflakes because everybody packs them themselves, and so everyone's different. But we ask everybody to pray for not the box, but for the child who's going to get the box because I have no clue what kid's going to get the box, but God does. So, And this year we'll collect about 14 million boxes, and if we have 14 million people praying for children around the world, you know God's going to hear those prayers. And a few years ago I had a little boy in um, Idaho, he packed a box, and um, uh, he was like a little nine-year-old kid. He had a little cowboy hat and a little lariat and cowboy boots, and so he put his picture in the box. And we asked people, put, put your picture in the box so the kid sees at least who gave the box. So that's what he did, and his box traveled to the Philippines and uh, came to a very poor family. They weren't Christians, and uh, this little uh, girl ended up with a box, and so she was kind of fascinated, this little cowboy. She'd, she had never seen a cowboy. And so she got a thumbtack and she put that above her bed and um, she wrote him because he put his address in there. Well, he never got the letter. And so over the years, she came to faith in Christ because of the church that the box went to and they did the distribution, the, the church does an evangelistic program. So she came to faith in Christ. Later, the mother came to faith in Christ, the father, the whole family. Then the father began to work at the church and then uh, he started preaching. So... That was the story. And now this girl is, um, she's about 20, and here comes Facebook. And so she clicks on to see if there's this guy in Idaho. And um, sure enough, there was one guy in that town by the name. And so she wanted to be his friend. Well, of course, here he is in Idaho. And here's this girl in the Philippines wants to be his friend. Oh, okay, you know, what's that about? So... Uh, and so she shared with him what God had done through that box that had been 10 years earlier. 
And so they began to correspond, and a few months later, he saved up his money, and he went to the Philippines to meet her, and it was love at first sight. Um, they got... Um, they, they got... They got engaged and got married in Idaho, and on their honeymoon, they came through Boone, North Carolina, where our headquarters is located, to say thank you uh, for Operation That's Christmas. That's great. Time. Well, so I think you ought to, if you're not married, get a shoebox. <laughs> you know, uh, I have a shoebox story for you. So you... You don't know about this, but we, we have a, a young lady at our North Fort Worth campus from Haiti, and uh, uh, Gabrielle, I want you to watch her story. Watch this story, Franklin. So I'm from Haiti and I grew up in an orphanage. It was very difficult. I got in my heart to where I shut down every part in my heart to trust anyone in my life. I didn't know what real love was. That's when I remember receiving those Operation Christmas boxes. So excited, you can't wait to see what's inside. So we will open it and it looks like toys. Deodorant and toothpaste and toothbrush was like three main things we, I think we needed in our lives. Even though I didn't know who actually gave it to me, but I felt something. Someone is careful for me to do that for me, then I need to start believing in myself. You start feeling there's hope in life. God had a whole plan for me to come here. Even though I didn't know that I would come to America, but what that box did, it actually gave me hope knowing that, that there was a God, that someone is watching me, someone care for me. You never know how many lives you're gonna impact by just making that box. That's Gabrielle. Amen, amen. And she, she was adopted by one of our Gateway Church members, and now she's at the North Fort Worth campus and serves in the children's ministry there and received a shoebox. So. Well, Franklin, you, you, uh, it's been great to have you here. I want to ask you to do one thing before we go. Um, why don't we stand up? And um, you, on, at, on the Decision America tour, you took a few moments and shared the gospel. Would you just share the gospel? Because I'm sure at a crowd this size and with all of our campuses, all of our affiliate churches, there's someone that needs to give his life to Jesus today. Will you just share and then you could lead him in a prayer, please? Um, and there may be some of you here today like I was, uh, lost, uh, empty, uh, and just sick and tired of just being sick and tired. You see, the, the Bible tells us that all of us have sinned, every last one of us. The Bible says, and the penalty of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, Franklin Graham is a sinner. And uh, I was lost. I was separated from God. 
yet God loved me. You see, the Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. And Jesus Christ is God's son. God loves us, he made us, he created us, but our sins have separated us from his presence. He's a holy God and he's just cannot look over sin, it has to be forgiven. And the only way that it can be forgiven is if you're willing to accept what Jesus Christ did on the cross. You see, Jesus Christ took our sins to the cross. He died in our place. He shed his blood for you and for me. And he was buried for our sins. And on the third day, God raised his son to life. He's not dead. He's alive and he'll come into your life if you're willing to trust him. And to believe on his name. And if you're willing to do that today, God will forgive you. He'll heal your heart. He'll give you a new life. You can have a new beginning. Think about that. A new beginning. Jesus said, I'm the way. He said, I'm the truth. He said, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's not many roads to God. There's only one. And that's through the cross, it's through Jesus Christ and him alone. And if you've never invited Christ to come into your life, if you've never put your faith in him, if you've never trusted him, uh, you can do that right now. And just wherever you are, just pray this prayer uh, in your heart. Let's do that right now. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I'd like to trust him as my savior. I want to follow him as my Lord from this day forward, forevermore. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.